She Said, He Said is sponsored by Times Media Company and Lee Enterprises. Our show is recorded each week at Creative Space Place Studios in Hobart, Indiana. You're listening to She Said, He Said with Karen and Jerry Davidge, a potpourri of everything that has to do with relationships and the baggage that comes with it, because there's a lot to unpack. Welcome to She Said, He Said with Karen and Jerry Davidge. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Greg Lee, head pastor of Suncrest Church in St. John. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Happy to be here. Thank you. Greg, we appreciate your time. Uh, I met with you. Uh, first off, we've been, what, social media friends for quite a long yeah, time, few right? few years at least. few years. Yep. And, and I, I always appreciate, and I told you this when I first met you, we met at officially at Panera Bread in Maryville after years mm-hmm. of just corresponding on social media as people do. And the first thing I told you, Greg, was thank you. Thank you for not slamming me, for not maybe <laughs> matching your values and your belief and your faith point by point, because sure. so many people do. Yeah. And I get that all the time. And that's one of the first questions I had for you, if you remember at Panera, was that if you don't align yourself with someone's values and faith and beliefs exactly, eh, they kind of shrug you off, right. which mm-hmm. always astounds me and kind of angers me. Mm-hmm. So I thanked you, I remember, initially, you just yes. for that, doing that alone. And I'm curious, if you don't mind, on today's podcast, if you can kind of elaborate, why were you so kind to me? <laughs> <laughs> you don't deserve kindness. Not well. A lot of the stuff that I write and say is provoking thought. It's not all 100% my belief systems. I'm just curious about people's beliefs. I challenge people, right? right, right. I provoke them. Yeah. I put a mirror in their face. I, mm-hmm. I think they're a hypocrite. I call them a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. A lot of this has to do with belief and faith and hypocrisy. So through the years, as Greg knows, I put a lot out there, and every time you're always so damn nice. To me. <laughs> well, honestly. Uh, why, right? Yeah. There's yeah. a few reasons. Okay. Uh, I do follow Jesus and kindness. That is... does not matter. And that's part of the kind <laughs> we're going to have today. Well, because a lot of people who follow Jesus, quote unquote, are well, not nice to me. Uh, I understand that. And and it is like, I do feel like I have kind of a personal mission, at least in Northwest Indiana, of like, you know, I said in the column, one of the quotes you used, I said, to some degree, I'm in sales, right? It's probably yes. the quote I cringed about the most when I read it no, in the column. No, that was a but, beautiful, <laughs> honest, candid quote. <laughs> but I, I have a guy who says, Jesus needs new PR, right? Oh. And I don't mean to be flippant. No, 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 no. This is I very serious Of course stuff. it is. Yeah, it's your life. And yet, you know, the reputation that Jesus receives from his followers doesn't always match who Jesus is, right? And so... You know, I, I may try to lead a whole church to do that, but I know I can control myself, right? And I want to represent literally Jesus as accurately as I can. So, and, and and you think you're doing that, correct, Greg? Well, I think I'm trying to do it. I yes. think I'm failing at it fairly regularly. I don't know. Really? Are you just being like self-deprecating, <laughs> I mean, modest or um, humble? I mean, you really, I think you're really walking the walk is my point. I wasn't challenging you with the question. I was praising you by saying yeah. you are doing this. Yeah. But my question um, has another question of why don't other Christians, believers, or Jesus followers just emulate that path that you're on? I don't understand it. And that's why I took you aside, and that's why we yeah, met. Yeah. So I have a lot of answers to that question, but I'll put it in one big category. I think many people who grew up in faith, um, had a church experience, it was rules-based for many of them, and so the rules become king, right, rather than a relationship with God being king. And so if you don't follow the rules, if you don't fit in the box, if you don't experience all those things, you're now on the outside looking in and experience judgment. But this is what's so wild to me. I talk to people who aren't followers of Jesus all the time. And it used to be I would talk to them and I would, you know, 
use kind of my theology and stuff to try to say, hey, you know, listen, you should believe this. This is true, you know. And people would basically look at me and be like, hmm, I don't know whether it is or isn't. My problem is I don't think the people in your church think it's true, oh. right? I don't think the people who are Christians think it's true. They didn't know the actual people in my church. Right, right, They're right. like, I don't think most people believe this based on how they act. Right. And so it's just become a great conviction of mine to be like, well, first we carry ourselves as followers of Jesus, and then maybe we'll get the chance to speak about it also. But, you know, followers of Jesus, church people, they tend to go to the ends first. So they, they think the most important thing is heaven and hell, right? And that's really important, yeah, right? I would say that's really important <laughs> stuff, yeah. But then they start making some logical steps of like, so how do I get people there, right? right. And they forget that following Jesus is the way to lead people there. And they've somehow constructed a different way in their mind that is beating you into it, convincing you about it, telling you you're wrong, and and many other ways Guilt, also. Guilt, blame, fear, yeah, but, anything? But the, even if we have a common end, that I want people to become followers of Jesus and experience right. what I believe is eternity waiting for them, Right. the means is actually what Jesus did. I don't have to come up with some secondary plan, my plan. Right. Like, well, Jesus, I, I think I said this when we were together, people who were nothing like Jesus really liked Jesus. And I think that says something to us. Yeah. And if you look at, I just said this to our church this past weekend, you know, if you look at Jesus' posture toward people, it's so interesting. People who were far from him, people who are the worst of sinners, people, all that, they always got graciousness. They always got kindness. They always got an invitation. And if you look at who Jesus had his harshest words for, it, were, it was for religious people who were harsh to people who are on the margins. I see. And I think that's... Is that forgotten these days, so to speak? That um, element? Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I Forgotten. Um, neglected, neglected, ignored. I, think I mean, neglected. I don't know what word to be, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. What, sure. I'd, what I'd like to do is, beyond talk about this subject that we talked about, which I've been fascinated about mm-hmm. for decades, as mm-hmm. you know, as any of my readers, listeners probably know, but I want to preface it with how we were raised, the three of us, differently. Yes. So... I'll go first, then I want Karen to talk about her upbringing, how she was raised, because it's different than mine completely, and yours is even more different than that. Mm -hmm. So I was born and raised in Gary, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, My mom and dad went to church occasionally. My dad was raised a Catholic, but at some point he got converted to being a Lutheran, and I was Mm -hmm. baptized Lutheran when I was maybe 10. I remember going under. I remember being in a church in the Edna yeah. section of Gary. I remember all that. You were baptized going under the full, the water, fully, I, not sprinkled on the head. Oh, like that's a full good question. Immersion. Do you remember? I do not. Okay. But I remember water. Yep. I, yep. Mem- <laughs> I remember the ritual. Yeah. I'm fascinated yes. by rituals, and that's a ritual. Mm-hmm. So I don't adhere to many rituals in life. That's one that fascinated me. Okay. So I was baptized Lutheran. Now, it really meant very little to me because my dad was going through this conversion Mm-hmm. And I was with him. Yep. So at that point, I didn't know even what I was before this conversion. And then I was Lutheran from now on. So people say, well, what religion are you, right? What denomination? I go, right. I'm Lutheran. And I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. It didn't mean yes. anything profoundly to me. Yeah. And then as I evolved as a teenager, I, that Lutheran tag kind of faded away more and more. Mm-hmm. And then I became maybe, let's say, a, a questionable, antagonistic atheist. Oh. We pick that up. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> wow, guilty as charged. <laughs> wow, what kind of timing for that? It should have been your mic. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think we're not alone right now. Right? That's so funny. That's, 
But I became this person who questioned everything. And I did it proudly, and I still do it, mm -hmm. but now not as antagonistic as I was. So that's the phase. And then after that kind of more antagonistic atheist phase that I went through, questioning mm -hmm. everything, mm -hmm. doubting everything, mm -hmm. then I went more to be an agnostic, really wondering about things. I'm open to anything, mm -hmm. and I'm looking for something to touch me to profoundly make me feel something. Mm -hmm. And I've been like that, let's say, for decades in different phases of that. Just I'm open. Yep. I'm not this raging, lunatic, mad, who's atheist, there's no God, you know? Right. It right. makes it makes no sense to me at all. It makes mm -hmm. no sense for people to rage and do that, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my arc in a way. So That makes sense. Yeah, tell yeah. me your arc. Well, mine was, you touched on it. I was born, um, I was baptized Catholic. I went through the whole... Um, Catholic school, elementary, grade school, high school, all Wait, what, is, what does the baptize mean? What does that mean for you when you say you're baptized Catholic? Well, it was what baptized is, Catholics where you absolve uh, all your sins. Mm -hmm. and, um, was that a certain... <clears throat> I was a baby. <gasps> you were a baby. Your parents, <laughs> my parents baptized, yes. had you baptized. Yes, my parents I had me baptized. Oh, and I probably remember later a went thing. through a confirmation I did. Process. I went through confirmation when I was eighth grade, yep. uh, uh, first communion in second grade. I was eight years old. And so, yes, the whole sacraments and Stations of the Cross. Mm -hmm. And so my, with Catholicism, especially back then, it was, um, like you said, it's like, you got to do this or you're going to hell. So more, yeah. it was more academic than it was mm -hmm. spiritual. Mm -hmm. And you have to know these prayers. And I had to know them in Spanish. And then I, we had to do the rosary. And then you have to do this. And this day is reconciliation. And then it's, okay. That's a total foreign <laughs> Yeah, then you have me. an old school mass and mm -hmm. this and that and the other. So, yeah, and what are you going to wear for confirmation? You know, I mean, it was, it, it wasn't what it should have been. Okay. And oh, that's interesting to say. It yeah. wasn't what it should have been. Exactly. When did you have that epiphany that it wasn't what it should have been? Were you a girl? Were you a teenager? Were you an adult woman? When did you realize that it wasn't what it should have been? Um, I think when I, when I was an adult and, I, and you meet other people of other denominations and when they would go to church, it was fun and happy hmm. and singing and it wasn't just this recite this prayer in the same monotone voice and dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. and you just you know, sit down we're gonna kneel you shake hands with strangers which always gave me anxiety oh, peace to be with you that. <laughs> and I've done that with you. Right. yes right. and so um that was my upbringing and so it, it wasn't it like I said it was whenever I think of Religion, I think of religion class and Mrs. Morrison, who didn't like me, and then the nuns that were mean and the priests that were not good and the lessons. And it, it like I said, it wasn't something that should fill you up and, and make you happy. Mm -hmm. It was just something that was really heavy mm -hmm. on, upon you. Did your religious upbringing ever fulfill you when you were a kid? No, not at all. It was it was not obligatory. That's horrible. It was absolutely happen. obligatory. And you probably yeah. speak for obviously for millions of not only Catholics but believers of any kind. Probably. Obviously. Okay. Okay. Before I ask this, the bigger question, Greg, please tell us about your yes. upbringing. Yeah. So I grew up in a small town, farming town, and uh, my parents were very involved in the church, and the church was a positive experience for me. Certainly there was, you know, the preacher. It was not a Catholic church. It, was a, it wasn't a Baptist church, but if you have a picture of what a Baptist church is, it probably yeah. has that okay. picture. And, like, sometimes the preacher felt real aggressive, but that was just when he was on the platform. Actually, when he was in our living room, he was awesome, mm -hmm. right? So I was always kind of trying to figure that out. But I was a teenager when, I don't know, there's something inside of me that said, either, either I have to take this seriously or I have to walk away from it in certain ways and you know, let it be nothing. And I had a few personal experiences, spiritual experiences. Like I, I can't 
can't ever say I've heard the audible voice of God, but the sense that God is leading me was very clear. You did. See, I always question if I ever had that ever in my life. Have you ever had that in your life? I don't know. You don't know for sure. Okay. (laughs) How did you think you knew or how did you know? And how old were you roughly when it first happened? Um, Just like teenagers? Yeah, teenager, 15, 16 years old, 14, 15, 16. Okay. And... Yeah, I think it was a combination of things. I mean, I was in some environments that nurtured that, sure. right? So like mm-hmm. a retreat environment yeah. or a camp environment. Um, most of the time, this is my experience with faith, most of the time it came through a relationship with someone else, someone who really cared about me and said something to me that felt like, yeah, they said that, but that that feels weightier. That feels like it's from God, I right? See. And, and maybe it's just planting a seed, you know, I, I was not intending to be a pastor at all. That was not on the radar. Not my dad on the radar, a, huh? had a very successful business, and that was my path in my mind. Huh. And I, you know, my youth pastor, who meant a lot to me, um, he said many times, "Hey, you should consider being a pastor." And I'm like, "No, no, no, that's no. not for yeah. me." But eventually, it's like, oh, one time when he said it, there was something different about it, and I can't explain it huh. all, but there was a weight to it. All right, that's mm-hmm. how, that's my best way yeah. to describe it. So. Yeah. And then, I mean, as I told you at Panera, faith felt very secure to me at that stage. I went on the route to ministry, got my undergrad degree in, in this, and I actually moved up here to serve the church I still serve today. And then I went through graduate school, which is seminary for mm-hmm. pastors, and uh, was forced at that stage of my life through school, through some experiences I had in life, to ask questions, deeper questions than I'd ever asked before. And it created some real doubt. And you were in your early 20s, give or take, at this point? Yeah, early to mid-20s. That's a good age for this fermentation of questioning things. I did it for me. You did it for you. Karen did it for... Yeah. All three of us. We have a commonality there, I think. We did that. And I, you know, when I tell the story, I try to acknowledge that, you know, I wasn't unbiased going into this exploration. I had grown up in a certain faith. Right. Mm -hmm. I was getting paid by a church. Like, my... my, (laughs) That's a factor. <laughs> I mean, I, guess. I, it, I would have had to overcome something to walk away from yeah, this faith. Sure, right. But I am a person of conviction, and I want to be a person of integrity. And I'm not going to keep doing something with my life yeah. if I don't really believe in it. So right. I had to go on that exploration and, you know, landed with conviction instead of certainty. That's one of the phrases that I use a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. I and, love that phrase, by the way. It's yeah. it's served me well, you know, ever mm-hmm. since then for many years. But one of the things that's interesting to me, even about your stories, is I find people, like definitely those stages of development, mid-20s is a, is a big season for people spiritually. But I also find people, like I'll talk to people who are in their 50s and their 60s and their 70s, and they landed somewhere when they were 19 or they were 24 or they were 29, and they never changed. It's like they didn't open themselves to anything Landed else. in a bad way, like in a non-believing way? When you say landed, well, what do you mean landed? Um, you don't mean landed like in the middle of a church and stayed there happily. No, no, I mean landed in their belief system I and see. never opened themselves to it being modified. And certainly that's probably true of many Christians who didn't ever test it afterwards. Right. But, you know, I, I'll talk to guys my age. I'm in my mid-40s, right? And I'm like, hey, are you, you're telling me the experience you had in college where a professor made you question your belief. I'm like, do you believe everything you believed when you were 19? Because it seemed you, like you locked in on your religious belief right. at that stage. Right. But you didn't, you've changed your mind about 100 things <laughs> since then. Right. Why not faith? Right. So I tend to have that conversation around people 
who Oh, I love that conversation, in, Greg. Yeah. You know I do. Yes, yes. yes, you do. But, but why do you have that conversation? Because if they're already locked into belief and locked into faith and locked into Jesus, like, why isn't that good? Now, it's not good enough for me because I want to explore it. I think our task as humans is to challenge ourselves and explore ourselves, whether it's faith or anything else. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of what you're doing, but... Mm-hmm. Some people are locked in it. They want to stay locked in, don't they? Oh, for sure. I mean, there's a security, is it just easy? There's a security, there's a security in it, to it, right? And, you know, there's a, you know, I talk about how hard it would have been practically for me to walk away from the faith because I had a built-in system, right? This is my job. It's my calling. I right. told all these people it was important. But people in family systems have this all the time. Like, they don't want to tell their mom <laughs> they changed, oh. right? And Is it like coming out for sexuality? It is. Them? It's, it's I, very it, that profound. It's a very, it? yeah. very good comparison, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I think going both directions, right? either coming to faith or walking away from faith. So, Which one do you think is more profound? I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's walking away. That must be really troublesome for families and for you. Well, it just, I, I think it actually depends... Um, you know, whatever your parents were to some degree. Sure. So I, I have a little theory. This is untested. Okay. But I'm fascinated by stories of like, oh, what was your church experience growing up, your faith experience? Because sure. I think most people's view of God is a combination of three things. It's a combination of who their father was in their life. Because it's just instinctively we think of our father as God must be like mm-hmm. that. Um, it's a combination of uh, the religious experience that I had or didn't have and how satisfying it was to me. And this is so wild because personalities are so different. There are people who grew up in the Catholic Church who love the ritual. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yes. And there's security and the yes. rules and mm-hmm. all those things and it yeah. matters to them. But that that's not everybody, right? No. So whatever your personality was that experienced a religious teaching, a religious experience, that'll shape your view of God. And then um, how you feel how you feel like you were able to navigate the lowest point of your life. Oh, I never thought of wow. that. Like, did you need that or lean toward that yeah. or instinctively? Does it feel like God came through for you Yeah. in right. that season, in the lowest point of your life? Does it feel like he abandoned you? Which one is it? So those three factors. Have you experienced all three factors, Greg? Oh, for sure. Oh, you yeah. have? Yeah. I, have... I did the eulogy at my dad's funeral, oh. and uh, I, I said this is the greatest compliment I could give to any man. Sure. But um, I feel like I have a healthy view of God because I had a healthy dad. Oh, right? was, it's just see. foundational, right? He wasn't yeah. perfect, no. but he represented Christ, God, well. Interesting. Like, so I had a head start. I feel like I was born on third base. You know, oh, my God, to, I love that. To be on this you know, route to <laughs> yeah. faith. Right. And yeah. you know, my mid-20s was my low point in my life. Because you were questioning or because you were... Well, offense. it was because life was not going the way I, see. I pictured. Oh, so it, it wasn't faith stuff so much. It was also well, life stuff as well. All, all of it, right? Mm, so, you know, for whatever reason, I grew up in a small town. I, I don't know where this podcast is going out there, but I think <laughs> it's easier to be successful in a small town. You're a big fish sure. in a small yeah. pond, right? Mm-hmm. So I was the best at school. I was the best at sports. I was the best at everything. I went to college, all of that. In my mid-20s, I thought, this ministry thing is going to be just like all of that. I got this, yeah, right? Yeah. Right. And it wasn't, right? So I have this, I kind of call it the trifecta, and I'm glad my wife allows me to, <laughs> is okay with me speaking about this, but um, church leadership was not going well, right? At, at that I, point in your I life. I was the youth pastor at Suncrest, and I threw an event, and zero kids showed up. Oh, no. I'm like, hmm, oh, huh, maybe I'm not so good, <laughs> Yeah. right? My faith on the intellectual side was getting 
undermined by some questions I was asking. Sure. And my young marriage was definitely not going the way that we pictured it would. Did, that no. is a try. Did you say trifecta? Yes. Yeah, that's yes. tough. Yes. Yeah. So what do you do in that moment? What's next, right? right. And I, of course, experienced um, some powerful and personal experiences from God directly and through other people that I think shaped my view of God, right? Mm -hmm. To me, um, and of course this comes from the scriptures too, God is redemptive. There's no, there's no other single word I could use to describe God that's more accurate or I think more attractive to people. Mm. He is a redemptive God. You know, the message of Jesus, we call it the gospel. The word gospel means good news. It's good news, right? It's there for you in your Mm -hmm. low moments. And, you know, Jenny and I celebrated our 27th anniversary last week just to finish that story. 27 years. That is awesome. Wow. And, you know, four kids now, all that sort of thing. But in that low time, it was defining. And I find that with people all the time. Mm -hmm. I wonder, Greg, why, if, if your excellent description of God and faith or Jesus would be redemptive, why aren't more humans or followers of that belief more redemptive? of other people. These are some of the quagmires that have startled me and mm-hmm. and pushed me mm-hmm. away from so, this dynamic. So this is a little bit of a dilemma for me because I in some ways I want to I want to kind of jump on your wagon and be very critical of Christians, right? Who don't live up to the faith right. that we're called to. And I think that's fair, right? Because I you know, again, you know, I don't think over the last 10 years or 30 years, the average person who's walking down the street out here thinks, you know who's awesome? Those Christians. <laughs> I don't think the average person is experiencing that. That's not coming Probably through not. in the media, That's you know, or whatever. Then. You know, and, and so I, I can agree. Like, I actually kind of want to resonate with the situation. At the same time, you know, I, I have grace toward you. And I have grace toward Christians who get it wrong <laughs> I see. all the time, right? And as long as we could all carry a little humility to say, you know what, you know what, I did, I did get it wrong, and I I didn't represent Jesus well there. Like right. we can do that. So I I don't want I I sometimes try to be careful about not coming across too judgmental to Christians, since I don't want to be too judgmental. Of course not. That's <laughs> your right. that's your people right? too. Yeah. Right. Of course. And you know. Like, not to say it flippantly again, but it is job security. Yeah, yeah well, for me. <laughs> right, like, yeah, right. Let's, there's always going to be a next leadership step. You know, there's a word you mentioned there that I struggle with and something that Karen does really well. It's called grace. Yeah. Karen has a, a, an excellent sense of grace, and she's shown it to me and in her mm-hmm. life to other people, and sometimes it's off my radar, Greg. I mean, she will demonstrate grace, and I don't even think about it and how to do it. I've had to learn it. I've had to manufacture, try to be graceful, right? Mm-hmm. This is a, a word that I struggle with. And then we had an incident many years ago with her son, Bobby, and um, he was going through life stuff. I was going through life stuff. We were not close at all, you know, at this point. And he, I was painted as Satan uh, by his mm-hmm. father in many ways, and mm-hmm. it, it caused a riff with us. And the suggestion was I should show him, Bob, some grace. Right. Remember that? Yes. And I remember grace. And I'm pondering this because I'm, you know, I'm not that faithful, and it's not a mm-hmm. word in my vocabulary, to mm-hmm. be honest. And I really struggled, like, how do I show grace? And I, it, it was a struggle for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still a struggle for mm-hmm. me. So when you say you have to show grace to either Christians who are not living how they should or people like me who are just questioning things all the time, mm-hmm. and that's a word that I think most people, I don't know if we could demonstrate it. That's my yeah. point. It's hard, it's hard to live graceful. 
well, of course it's hard. You right? know? But I'm very curious, Karen. Like, that seems like maybe it comes naturally from you or, or you were asking Jerry mm-hmm. to do that. So where does that come from? Well, you know, uh, it was my brother that told me. Yeah, he's the one that mentioned <laughs> it. Was, he was my, he was, my brother was the one but, that But yep, Karen knew exactly what, I, what, what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think That's because grace was shown upon me in my lowest mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's, it's not something that comes easy for me, but it's that, um, that um, adage where you have to forgive, not mm-hmm. for them, but for you. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, it is freeing. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, I feel better. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's taken me a very long time to yeah. <laughs> embrace. But it is, it is a beautiful feeling when you just kind of let go and you forgive. Mm-hmm. I forgive you. I, I forgive you. Not for you. I need it for me. I need it to settle my heart mm-hmm. and my head. And so it does make life somewhat um, bearable. Yeah. <laughs> so I think this is so fascinating. Because this is a theological question, and not that you guys would experience it that way necessarily, mm-hmm. but you know, really the question is justice or grace, right? Um, justice is you get what you deserve. Right. Mm-hmm. Eye right? for an eye, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 This is actually the old covenant, the old Testament. We right. call it, right. That's, that's what that is. Right. And Jesus arrival on planet earth was, I don't know any other way to say it, except the introduction of grace. And this, this is what frustrates me about followers of Jesus is if you don't extend grace, Jesus has a couple stories about this, right? <laughs> He's like, Hey, you know, a man went and, you know, had a massive debt forgiven, millions of dollars. And then he's got a buddy who owes him, you know, $10,000, but he won't forgive that one, right? And the message of Jesus is, if you're a follower of Jesus, what you believe is that Christ died for you when you didn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. And you're receiving that, right? right? That's the message of Christianity. So when I turn to the person next to me, if I can't extend that same thing to them, you know, what am I even doing? Right. Let me ask you, yes. do you believe, um, and forget, forgive me, I'm not, uh, you're forgiven. Right off the bat. Yes. I will, I, in, I, okay. So my, my ex-husband, um, was a very cruel person mm-hmm. and I didn't show him, I don't know if I showed him grace, but I left him alone if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't go out of my way to hurt him, even mm-hmm. though he did that to me, he did it mm-hmm. to my kids, he did it to Jerry. Yeah. Um, and so as life would have it, he... Um, I, I don't know where I'm trying to say, do you believe in, like, karma? Like, I'm not mm-hmm. going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. I will let life or what you've put mm-hmm. out there come back to you mm-hmm. because that's exactly what happened to him. Mm-hmm. I never went out of my way to, to hurt him, mm-hmm. but I guess in a sense, life mm-hmm. hurt him yeah. without any involvement of, of us, our kids, or anything. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Is that something that you... Do you it's, get what yeah, I'm trying to say? I, I, I think I do. Okay. And let, me, let me describe a couple things, sure. just in the way I see it. So the word karma is not a Christian religious word. Exactly. And so yeah. I'm sensitive about embracing that, but there are some similar concepts within mm-hmm. Christianity, including it as simple as you reap what you sow. That's right? it. That's, that's exactly That's the that. idea. And for me as a follower of Jesus, one of the reasons I would try to extend grace to someone else is actually, I believe in God's ability to bring his judgment 
that I don't have to be the deliverer deliverer of that. Precisely. Right? I, I don't mean to quote scriptures to you, but like this is what Romans 12 says, you mm-hmm. know, hey, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, exactly. right? It's, it's not yours. Right. So leave that to God. But this is what I, I see, not to turn this into a theology lesson. No, no we're no. asking. Yeah. Justice yeah. and grace, right in the middle of that is mercy, right? So think of it this way. Justice means I'm going to give you what you deserve. Mercy means I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm not going to make you pay the price. I'm just kind of opting out. Right. Grace is, I'm actually going to pay. I'm going to pay the price for what you deserve. Oh, I'll that, absorb it. That's awfully myself, tough. right? That's, that's which so is the story tough. of Jesus. That's yeah. the that's the yeah, point of this, right? right? That's right. what the cross is. He absorbed the the price mm-hmm. for us, right? Now, in real life, like, how do I do this with people who do me wrong? Exactly. Right. Well, I I have to resolve that. You know, justice is God's either, and I don't know when that's going to come. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's going to come tomorrow, 10 years from now, or if eternity is that justice. I just trust God for the justice, not my job. Mercy would be, I think, what you described yourself doing. I it's think like, so. hey, I, I didn't pay the price for him. I left him alone. I didn't exactly. make him, I didn't force him to pay the price to me, yeah. right? Would you say that? Oh, without and, a doubt. Yeah. And there's a lot of encouragement, like, a lot of times that's the best a human being can do. Yeah, right? I know. It's the best. Precisely. But that's but, something that I could not do, by the way. This is another difference between Karen and I. She you don't give yourself this, enough credit, Jerry. I'm, Jen, no, I'm, no, I'm <laughs> reflective. I'm honestly reflective. I'm not delusional about myself like I'm some other person. I know who I am. I don't have the grace and mercy that she's shown to this person or any uh-huh. other people. I just don't. I struggle with it. I didn't mm-hmm. have it with him. He's mm-hmm. not with us, by the way, anymore. Mm-hmm. He's dead. Mm-hmm. So that's not a factor yeah. at all. Yeah. But my point is I struggle with these things that... Yeah. She just you just described. But this this is why this is why I actually want to call people who are followers of Jesus to really follow Jesus. Because, you know, the redemption of the world isn't just supernatural. It's not just Jesus snaps his finger and you're redeemed. It's actually the calling of Christians to bring redemption to the world. And I, I feel this way very strongly. If you live by eye for an eye, which is an old covenant justice driven thing, um, you will not get a better world. You won't. Because actually we don't judge each other very well. So you're mad at me for doing something and you're going to make me pay. And then I hear that. And I'm like, oh, well, now I'm mad at you and I'm going to make right. you pay. And it is a downward spiral, yeah. right? That's, the, that's, that's where when human beings put themselves in charge of justice, it's no good for the world, Yeah, right? right? And I, you know, if you extend grace or even mercy to someone else, right, you're essentially saying, I'm not going to give you what you deserve, Right. And we're trying to start, you know, if you could call it an upward spiral. Yeah. Right. right. And then I, I try to teach our church, you know, you should extend grace. Now you can start to think if I extend grace, then it should work every time. It should transform their life. They should be the ripple effect. Yeah. Yeah. And I just always say, Oh, just just you know, it might not work. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> exactly. Right? It, I mean it didn't work when Jesus came for everyone. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, why didn't it work? Some people responded to him. Because we're humans? People, is that why it didn't well, of work? Of course, of course. I mean, that's mo- so disappointing. The, mo- the most human part of us is that we have a free will, right? That you and I get to choose. God placed that in us, right? So you're not a robot. No. You get to choose. Everyone gets to choose. Mm-hmm. That's for Rem- better or worse. It reminded me of, of Jerry told me this was years ago, and I always. This is another thing. I guess this comes down to mercy, what you said about somebody we, we once knew a long time ago. And and they were doing something that wasn't quite right. And you said, 
I'm not going to tell them it's not right. I'll let society tell them it's not right. So that's kind of like showing somebody mercy. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. going to tell you mm-hmm. that's wrong. Mm-hmm. I'll let me be a police officer tell you that's yeah. wrong or yeah. something like that. Absolutely. So that I, think, I think that's more where I kind of fall. I, I show see. people more mercy. And you talk about the power of forgiveness. You know, maybe it releases them, but it really releases us yes. when we forgive. Right. It really does. It really does. But I struggle with forgiveness, too. Oh, I struggle yeah. with all of it, Greg. <laughs> You've been listening to She Said, He Said with Karen and Jerry Davich, sponsored by Times Media Company and Lee Enterprises, and recorded at Creative Space in downtown Hobart. Find us at nwi.com and where you find all your podcasts. If you enjoy our show, we hope you return with your own viewpoints about couples, relationships, and the subtle or not so subtle differences between spouses, mates, partners, and potential partners. We welcome your opinions, your experiences, and especially your love lessons.